You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Be seated. Good morning, everyone. At this moment, I want to dismiss Redemption Hill kids ages 2 to 4, just right across the hallway, what is their music room here at Radiant Elementary. So parents, if that serves you, Redemption Hill, ages two to four. As I've said in the past, as we continue to grow, we'll continue to add to our Redemption Hill kids ministry. Also, for kids older than age four, we have totes that are just right by the water fountain in the hallway, full of coloring sheets and crayons, if that serves you. Um, There's also kids' sermon notes out there as well. So, again, if that serves you, you can grab that right now. Well, good morning. Welcome to Redemption Hill Church. We are continuing our sermon series called Suffering Servant and Suffering Saints. This is the third message in this particular sermon series. We've already looked at Psalm 25. Last week we were in Psalm 6. Next week is Psalm 88. And as many of you know, we've gone deep. We've talked a lot about suffering and how we suffer throughout our life and how does our suffering connect with the suffering of Jesus Christ. So that big idea of this sermon series that we do go through trials and suffering and we look to Christ who not only suffered and died for God's people, but Christ provides a hope for a day. There will be a day. We, we keep going back to Revelation. I'm going to go back to Revelation by the time I'm done again because there will be a day where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain for God's people. But here's the deal. Until that day, right? Until that day, we're navigating a broken world. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that, that you go through trials and suffering. The question is, this is what Christianity offers. It offers the way through the trials, through the suffering, and through the pain. And so we've been focusing on the Psalms in the preaching of God's Word. As you also know, We've been sprinkling in 1 Peter. Um, the book of 1 Peter in your New Testament is all about how God's people are navigating the suffering in the world. And as you might also know, we've been focusing on Isaiah 53 every single Sunday during this sermon series when we celebrate the Lord's table because that is all about our suffering servant. So yes, we're focusing on, yes, to, to a degree, how we navigate, but we're always pointing our heart and our trajectory back to Jesus. So that's why I keep going back to Isaiah 53 during this particular sermon series. And as you know, because that's what Dean read, we'll be looking at perhaps the most beloved psalm, and for some people, the most beloved passage in the entire Bible. Now, one disclaimer. I thought I had never never preached this particular psalm, but I did way back in the day, probably like two and a half years ago here at Redemption Hill Church. We never recorded it. Um, so if you're hearing this for the second time, um, I still hope it, it blesses you. Uh, for, for many of you, you'll be hearing me preach on this particular psalm for 
the first time. Before I begin, I'm going to do something I normally never do. I'm going to read a devotion. My wife's been going through this. Um, The devotion is called In the Lord I Take Refuge by Dane Ortland. My wife raves about it, and I think she would recommend it to you. But I'm going to read it because it's going to prepare our hearts to hear from Psalm 23 this morning. It's short, maybe two minutes. This is what he says about Psalm 23. This is perhaps the most famous poem in the history of the world. Now think about that statement. The most famous poem in the history of the world. And justly so. It is deep consolation for the people of God. This psalm tells us that life with God means we have no lack, verse 1. A life walking with him is like green pastures and still waters, verse 2. But notice that David does not claim this about God when life is easy. This is how God cares for us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, verse 4. How can this be, Ortland asks? How can life be green pastures and still waters in the ever-enveloping fog of deep fears and bitter disappointment? In a sadness that refuses to lift, a habitual sin in which you feel trapped, a rejection by one you loved, or a deep sense that you are disappointing God, the Psalms tell us, you are with me, verse 4. There's a key phrase in this particular devotional. Ortland says, Would you rather have the mountaintop experience without God or the dark valley with him? How does the presence of God actually help me when I'm in darkness? In this way, we know that Jesus Christ walked through the ultimate valley of the shadow of death the darkness of condemnation and hell, a fate that should have landed on us. The result is that in our temporary dark valleys, we can know that despite our sin and failure, God will bring us in full moral integrity to be with him forever, where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, where all the mess and darkness of our little lives will be found to have worked backward to make us more replacent and happy than we otherwise could have been. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning, we want to be instructed by your word. This is such a beautiful psalm that you have given to us. Yes, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are indeed with us. So help us to lie down in green pastures. Lead us beside the still waters. Help us to trust you more as a result of going through this psalm. Lord, give me words that correspond with the truth that you have already spoken and give us all hearts to hear and apply your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in college, um, I attended a campus ministry located at the University of Minnesota. So this is before we had moved, or I had moved back to Iowa. Uh, this particular campus ministry would have worship, and then someone basically would give a, a brief message. It wasn't a church service, just a kind of a parachurch ministry located on campus. The, the speaker gave a message about Israel wandering through the wilderness. You know, Israel was let out of Egypt and let out of slavery and just kind of wandering for quite a while. She, this particular individual, showed how much of the movement of God's people in the Old Testament, at least early on, was through the wilderness. 
which was obviously frequently a, what, a desert, right? In the desert, we see, and she was explaining, God is at work. After the meeting, I pulled the speaker aside and explained the confusion I was experiencing kind of like in my life at that particular moment, you know? Like, I was like, I feel like I'm going through the desert. I'm wandering, you know? I'm just kind of sharing my heart with the speaker. Uh, the, the speaker evaluated and said, perhaps you're wandering through the wilderness just like the Israelites. And I recall at the time just being really put off, like, give me something to work with. <laughs> That's not the answer that I wanted, that, yeah, you're wandering right now in life. But since that moment, I've come to appreciate what was being communicated, at least the heart behind what was being communicated. Life is hard. And there are times when it feels like you're wandering through the wilderness, wandering through the valley of the shadow of death. Enemies seem to abound, and cries and prayers seem, I only say seem to fall on deaf ears, even though we know that our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. But it seems that way sometimes. But throughout the years, I've learned that God has brought me at times, and perhaps you know this as well, into the wilderness to teach that only God can satisfy the deepest longings that you have. What are you to do when you feel like you're wandering in the wilderness? Like, what are you to do? I think Psalm 23 can provide comfort for the wandering soul. I know this last week it's brought me much comfort. To the one who feels the pressure of life, Psalm 23 is a gentle reminder of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, my encouragement to you is to allow this particular psalm sing to your soul. It provides much comfort and much peace. So as you can see, the dominant imagery of this psalm is of a, of a, of a sheep or a sheepfold and a shepherd. So I want to allow you to use your imagination and just run with this metaphor. Some Bible scholars think that the beginning, uh, beginning in verse 5, the imagery shifts from a shepherd and, and sheep to just two friends. But I tend to believe this whole psalm is about a shepherd and his sheep. Regardless how you read verses 5 and 6, nothing is lost we very well see how a good shepherd is also a good friend. To understand the sheep and shepherd dynamic, we have to understand the environment in which shepherding takes place. If you were to travel to the Middle East and visit a shepherd, you would be surprised by the relationship between a shepherd and its sheepfold. You might also be surprised at the hard work of a shepherd as he tends to his flock. Shepherding is dirty. It is tiresome. And there are always challenges caring for sheep throughout, like, changing climate, changing weather. The survival of the sheep in the wilderness is entirely, wholly, and completely dependent upon the provision and guidance of the shepherd. The environment is dry, uh, the temperature is temperamental, and the land lacks water. And so you have this, sh- this shepherd trying to like keep the sheep alive <laughs> in this kind of environment. I remember having um, chickens in Minnesota. 
My wife is smiling. She knows I'm gonna, where I'm going here. And there was one winter in the Twin Cities. If you, some of you who live there, it gets really cold, really cold. Like we're talking like negative 20 for like, seems like two months. And it got really bad one time. And my wife's like, hey, I want you to get the chickens and put them in the garage. And I'm just kind of like, what? That's my garage. <laughs> my car goes in the garage. My chickens do not go in the garage. And she, she was worried that the chickens would like freeze to death. And so I, I did it. I took them all out of the coop and put them into the garage. But why? Why do this? Like if you have any sense of agriculture, you, you know where I'm going. You do this because if you care for the flock, you do everything to keep them safe. Right? The environment in Palestine, think Middle East, was dry with little water. It was just desert-like. These environmental challenges are more pointed when you realize that sheep need to be fed all the time by the shepherd. I read this from a shepherd who was in a different location in part of the world, but what this shepherd says still applies to caring for sheep. This Welsh shepherd once said that she is amazed at the variety of ways sheep can find to die. They can find, they can find ways to die. <laughs> well, I thought about that and I compared it to myself. I'm like, well, that tends to make sense. In addition to the environment, weather, and mere stupidity of sheep, there's another enemy at work in the wilderness. Wolves. There are wolves. While the shepherds watched their flock, so did the wolves. A shepherd and its sheep worry about dehydration in the daytime, and they worry about the wolves at night. During the time of Christ, shepherding was not a profession you send your kids to college for. To be a shepherd, assume a low status in society. For the sheep, their shepherd was their world. He is their means of safety, protection, and provision. With the shepherd, the sheep have everything they need. Without the shepherd, there is difficulty. To be a sheep without a shepherd is to be without leadership. To be without unity from the whole. To be helpless and to be facing trouble. To be a sheep with the shepherd does not ensure difficulties will not arise. But, this is key, it does ensure the shepherd will be there when problems do arise. To be a sheep with a shepherd means access to the one who can help and who does help in times of need. And times of need certainly do arise in life. Psalm 23 cannot be a more personal psalm for the Christian going through the hard life. And of course, these other psalms that we've been looking at as well. Psalm 23 is for the Christian who, gets, who keeps getting socked in the gut by the trials of life. However, Psalm 23 reminds you that no matter what life throws at you, you are not alone. Even as you seemingly wander through the wilderness, searching for water, begging for food, there is still hope. There is hope because of what we read in this psalm. In Psalm 23, we are reminded of the, there's going to be three points I'm going to point out, the comforting presence of God. We read that in Psalm 23. Christian, God is with you. We also see the ongoing protection of God. God is at work in your life, which is especially important to remember when life is messy and hard. Finally, we see the never-ending provision of God in this psalm. So by the time I'm done, I hope you see from God's word 
that he not only has given everything you need, but you've actually been given exceedingly more. So these three headings will help guide us as we tease out Psalm 23, the presence of God, the protection of God, and the provision of God. We read in Psalm 23 that God is present in your life as a good shepherd. That's obvious. Many times I've woken up in the morning just simply saying those words, the Lord is my shepherd. It brings so much comfort, right? So you know the first part. Notice how these words, these three, three Hebrew words, are a declaration for your soul. You could say without flinching, like without flinching, you could say, and without hesitation, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, I don't know what you're going through today. Perhaps you are wandering. You've got a wandering soul. Repeat that to yourself. Repeat that truth to yourself over and over. The Lord is my shepherd. You don't see this in English, but in Hebrew, the word for Lord is translated out of this word Yahweh. I find it interesting, interesting because in Jewish tradition, Yahweh was too sacred to speak, so they created another word called Adonai. It's just out of reverence. They don't want to say Yahweh. But we're reminded here that this particular psalm is meant to be sung. It's meant to be sung as a declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean to declare God as your shepherd? If you've read the Bible, you know that there are countless tangible examples about how we try to talk about God, right? For example, God is a rock. He's a foundation um, he's a king. He's a warrior. These expressions and others help convey the, sometimes the omnipotence or power of God. God is all-powerful. We read that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God not only created time, but he transcends time. We say God is eternal. I mean, like there's more than we could say about who God is, but God being a shepherd is extremely unique, I think. The picture of a shepherd is very different of a rock or a king, Right? Like, as a father, there are moments when my kids experience me as their, like, protector and their provider. And there are times when they need a hug or, like, a shoulder to cry on. Like, like this is the kind of relationship, the kind of dynamic that we, that we read about in Psalm 23. And here's why I love God being described as a shepherd in our Bible. There's not a more intimate expression of God in the Bible than to say that he is your shepherd. Let me try to explain why this matters. If you say God is your shepherd, you also imply that you are his sheep. The shepherd is the one who watches over the flock. He is constantly with the flock. He is constantly with the flock. First century shepherds like did not take vacation. They didn't have PTO. They did not take weekends off. There was no, you know, college football to watch on Saturday, then the NFL on Sunday. They were constantly with the sheep that they were entrusted to care for. I've made this statement in regards to like pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry. And you've heard it, some of you. And it applies even more here. The relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is so close that the smell of the sheep is on the shepherd and the smell of the shepherd is on the sheep. Like, that's how close. Dr. Timothy Laniak wrote a devotional called 
while shepherds watch their flocks. His book has, a profound, has had a profound influence on how I view pastoral ministry and also my relationship with God. Leniak's devotional provides 40 days of reading and reflection. On day 14, he recounts an interview he had with a shepherd named Abu Munir. He's a modern-day shepherd of a flock of 2,000. Laniac asked Abu Munir how much contact he has with his flock of 2,000. Like, how, how often are you actually with the sheep? Does he let the sheep roam the yard, just kind of like my dog roams my yard, right? Can he be relatively hands-off while the sheep take care of himself? That's what Laniac's trying to understand. Here's what Abu Munir said. Quote, I'm with the sheep every day. In the summer, I sleep outside with them too. If I weren't with them every day, this is really important, I shouldn't be their shepherd. If I'm not with them every day, I shouldn't be their shepherd. Ponder like what this means for you, Christian. God is with you every single moment of every single day. He's at the wedding celebrating with you. And he's at the funeral, like holding the tissue box. I mean, I know I don't need to tell you this, but life is hard. Life is full of disappointment. It's full of unpleasant and unwanted surprises. A sickness can radically alter life in a family. The death of a loved one can bring you to the point of despair. Like perhaps the job situation just not, does not go as hoped. A family member, a close friend walks away from God. A perpetual sin is like a boulder laying on, on your back. The anxiety flares up. The spouse walks away, and this time it's for good. Life is hard, but by the grace and mercy of God, you navigate the wilderness in this life with God's help as your good shepherd. And it's in these moments when you have to remind yourself that God is present. God is your shepherd. Like when you make the declaration that God is your shepherd, what does he do? Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This is what a good shepherd does for his sheep. He makes, it's not a suggestion. It's like, hey, here's a pasture. No, he's, he's actively leading us toward the pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For your sake? No. For his sake. For his sake. Your heavenly shepherd cares for you so much. So much. He will never abandon you. Like we sang earlier, he will hold me fast. God does not abandon any one of his sheep. He does not abandon you. He's actually leading you into places you need to go. Like the scene painted for us in verses 2 and 3 is one of abundant life. The shepherd causes the sheep to lie down. He makes them approach quiet waters. As sheep, we need to receive the summon by God to the still waters instead into like the turbulent waters that we so often try to go in. <laughs> I know that for myself. Head to the turbulent waters. God's like, no, I'm going to show you the still waters. Come on. A while back, man, it's probably two and a half years ago, 
I was walking on a trail, the Raccoon River Trail up in Perry, Iowa, and my oldest was riding her bike, and, and we're just walking around. It was a beautiful day, and she kind of went ahead of me, had my eye on her, and all of a sudden I come across this bridge. There's a stream of water head right underneath, and I was pondering this psalm because I was about to preach this psalm two and a half years ago, three years ago, and I just stopped and listened. Just listened to the, to the still waters. For a moment, all that I was thinking about ceased, and I enjoyed the peaceful moment that the Lord provided. It helped make Psalm 23, verse 2 and 3, just more of a reality. Like, oh, this is what it's like. The peace that I'm experiencing right now. God provides so much more. Even in your wandering, there are moments when God reminds you that he is with you. The faithful shepherd who leads the sheep down the right path, right? Too often we try to go down our own path. And if you've been a Christian for longer than like a cup of coffee, you know what ends up happening when you pick your own path. But there is peace and comfort when you try to follow the way, when you end up following the way of your shepherd. So yes, God has us lying down in green pastures. And there are moments by still waters. And he leads us down the right path. All this is possible when you're in the presence of your faithful shepherd. But this also requires of you, hey, Christian, will you trust him for this? Like, that's the active question. Do you trust God to lead you down the right path? So are you wandering this morning? Is your heart troubled? Jesus, your chief shepherd, is with you. You can declare with confidence and conviction from Psalm 95, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. In the Bible, being a sheep in the wilderness is a place for God's people to also learn to be dependent. In the wilderness, God's people learn discipline. They learn to trust God. At least that's the hope. Deserts bring people quickly to their end at least to an end of self-sufficiency and independence. Wandering in the desert is not in vain, though, because God is with you. God, your shepherd, also protects you. So God is with you, right? He also protects you. If God is with you and he protects you, then you have nothing to fear. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse does not say you will not walk through the valley, a desert valley. It doesn't say that. But it assumes you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It is in this verse where the role of the shepherd becomes more clear. In the hands of the shepherd are two objects. You notice that? A rod and a staff. Again, let the imagery flood your brain. They've got a shepherd with a rod and a staff. If you've ever been um, or ever seen a picture of a Middle Eastern shepherd, they often walk with the flock with like a staff in their hand, right? The staff is long with, you can picture it again, it has a curl at the end. There are several practical reasons for the staff. Of course, the staff can be an aid for walking, but more significantly, the staff helps keep the sheep together. 
The staff is a tool to keep the sheep close to the shepherd. The staff is also a symbol of the shepherd's love for the sheep. With the shepherd's outstretched arm, with staff in hand, he can gently bring back a sheep that begins to wander away. Be like, Sean Powers, you're straying too far. Come here. (laughs) Get back. Come on. Stay with the flock. I think this is a subtle admission from the psalmist, uh, King David. He knows that he is prone to wander. He knows he is prone to wander. He needs the staff of the shepherd to keep him near. Like one of my favorite songs is uh, Come Thou Fount. Here's one line from from the song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We need and we have a faithful shepherd who loves us more than we love him. And we can experience his love as he keeps us in the sheepfold. Listen to how Jesus posed a question in the Gospel of Matthew. And Dean actually referenced this when he prayed before I began to preach. It's from Matthew 18. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one who has went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The shepherd, with staff in hand, pursues the one wandering sheep because he knows what's best for that one wandering sheep, and he loves that one wandering sheep. He's going after it. The shepherd knows how to best protect that one wandering sheep. You see the heart of God in Matthew 18, and how that kind of maps on to Psalm 23, filling out more and more this, this shepherd and sheep metaphor. That staff brings the sheep back into the sheepfold. Along with the staff, the shepherd has, has a rod, we read in Psalm 23. A rod is shorter, dense, and wooden. You might think of it as like a baseball bat. It really acts as a club. When I picture a shepherd in my head, I see the staff, right? I think that's pretty obvious. However, I don't see the rod. But even though I might not see the rod, it's there. The shepherd has, a, has it on him all the time. One of the difficulties of shepherding is the constant movement of the sheepfold. In an attempt to find areas for the sheep to graze, the sheep are constantly on the move. So all the grass has gone over here, so we've got to move them over here. A shepherd may travel for weeks away from home to find provision for the sheep. In particular, um, the shepherd is concerned about danger, and as I mentioned earlier, danger from wolves. The rod is used to beat back wolves who want to eat the sheep. Like, think about that kind of protection that God has. He's got the rod. God, our our chief shepherd, our great shepherd, has the rod. Why? To protect you from the wolves that want to eat you. 
The shepherd puts his life on the line to protect the sheep from the wolves. He will beat back a wolf as long as he needs to to ensure the safety of his sheep. He will not let you go, and he will protect you as he does not let you go. Again, here's Laniac, how he describes the dependence that the sheep have on the shepherd. He says, one of the ironies of shepherding in the wilderness is that while flock animals are physiologically suited to the arid wastelands, they are completely defenseless in these remote regions. Sheep do not have sharp teeth or claws. Their eyesight is limited between 10 and 15 yards. The animal's only natural defense is their instinct to huddle or flock together. Think about this for the Christian life. Isolation spells ruin. The only reliable source of security comes from the shepherd's presence. A flock cannot be left alone. I've said this in the past. There's no such thing as homeless Christianity. No such thing. A sheep needs to be with the flock, and the flock is completely dependent upon the shepherd. If the shepherd ensures that you stay with the sheepfold and he is protecting you from the wolves, the question becomes, what do you have to fear? Like in verse 4, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what then do you have to fear? You certainly should have a holy and reverential fear of the one protecting you. The Lord is your shepherd, though, so do not fear. Do not fear. He protects you with his rod. He brings you into the sheepfold with his staff, and he protects you with the rod. I want to provide one more thought about the protection of God in this sheep-shepherd picture. The protection of God does not ensure a trouble-free life. I was just talking with Rob earlier about this. Um, quite the contrary is going on. This psalm has been written precisely because life is full of trouble. The question is, when life's troubles come upon you, where do you turn? Because they do come. They have been there. You've experienced them. But where do you turn? Who do you trust? Like you can flood your memories about those times you've, had, you've gone through a hard season or, or tragedy hits and the question becomes, you can, you can ask yourself, where have I turned? And if you didn't turn into the right direction, now you can ask yourself the question, okay, when tragedy strikes now, where will I turn? Whom will I trust? Your good shepherd walks with you through the valley. He just doesn't lead you beside the still waters but he walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He is present and he protects and cares for you through all of life's troubles. Now let's look at the provision of God in Psalm 23. He is present, he protects, and God also provides. Here is the question. If the Good Shepherd already provides everything we need, then why do we desire so much? Here's the second part of verse 1 and then verse 5. If the Lord is your shepherd, 
It says, I shall not want. Another way to translate that is that I have what I need. And I like this even better. I think this is strictly coming out of the Hebrew. It's, I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. The ESV just kind of makes it rhyme, but it's, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing in my life. He has provided everything I need. That's the sense of what's going on at the end of verse 1 of Psalm 23. And then in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with, over, with oil. My cup overflows. The presence of the Lord provides protection and provision. The psalmist, David, does not mean that Yahweh, God, shepherds us by giving us everything we desire, right? I'm sure you all have a bunch of desires. Rather, those who trust in God as their shepherd will never lack anything they need from their shepherd. You know, you know there's a lot of things I want, a lot of desires that I, I have. But because I want something doesn't mean I need it or that it's good for me. Here's a silly example, um, but it hopefully helps relate what's going on in the heart and what Psalm 23 is trying to do to correct the heart. Since moving to Iowa, I've, I've come to love trucks. Now, I made fun of people grow, who drove trucks growing up. It's a long story, but I love trucks now. And uh, I got a Ford F-150, and you know what kind of truck I really want, what I really desire, is like the Ford F-150 limited edition, like all tricked out, all the best bells and whistles. Like, that's the desire of Sean Powers' heart. Get me that truck. It's like the top of the line. Now, the desire for the Ford F-150 Limited might not necessarily be sin, but that doesn't mean I need it, right? I'm called to be content with what God has already provided, and I am to trust that God will continue to provide everything that I need and not everything I desire. Do you see the tension in your heart and what this psalm is stating? I mean, I know that I do. I've expressed that. Perhaps think of it this way. From beginning to end, this psalm is about trust. Do you trust that God is present with you while you're walking through the valley? Do you trust that God protects you from the wolves? Do you trust God will provide for you? God gives you everything you need, and you must, must embrace all that God provides. Now, I've heard, it, I've heard this passage twisted, Psalm 23. I've heard it twisted as a justification to like kind of name it and claim it, that desire component. If I want that, it's going to be mine. Some people have used the provision motif in this psalm to say that God is going to give every desire of your heart. This is scary to me. This is scary to me because my sinful heart can desire many things that are not of the will of God. true. And I think if you evaluated your own heart, you know that'd be true for you as well. Now, this passage is about a dumb, not insulting you, just insult me, a dumb, partially blind, needy sheep who comes to a shepherd trusting that he will provide all that is needed. No more and no less. 
the end of this psalm assumes everything I have said and offers a massive assurance for the sheep. Here's the last verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and listen to the hope that is found in this last stanza. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is better for you and for me to dwell in the house of the Lord forever or to crave that desire, that Ford F-150 limited so much that I give up everything to get that and it satisfies me for maybe like five minutes or to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? What is more valuable? What is more profitable? The word mercy here in verse 6, can also be translated as God's steadfast or covenantal love. Those word, the word is meant to indicate a covenant relationship between God, the chief shepherd, and his sheep. The covenant relationship God has made with his people is secure and just filled with, with promises. Listen to how Jesus, the chief shepherd, describes his relationship with the sheep in the Gospel of John. Here's John 10. And again, this, this metaphor of Shepherd and sheep is all over the pages of Scripture. And here's John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Right? You think Jesus is taking his cues perhaps from Psalm 23? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And jumping down to verse 27 of John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. More assurance right there. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch the sheep out of the shepherd's hand. When you are in a covenant relationship with God, the chief shepherd not only provides and protects, the chief shepherd has sacrificed his life so that you could live. I mean, that's where all this is headed when we think about Psalm 23. The chief shepherd died for you, Christian, so that you could live as sheep. Many of you might know this verse from Isaiah 53 because we've been going over it in this sermon series during the Lord's Table. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Now, our shepherd is also a lamb who went to the cross to die so that you might live. He died, but then he rose from the dead, and now he is living and seated at the right hand of the Father, why? So that his sheep will remain in the sheepfold. So that his sheep will receive the love and care purchased through his atoning death. The cross of Christ accomplished so much for God's people, for his sheep. I have one final thought before closing in prayer. While we faithfully toil in this broken world, we look forward to the day when the chief shepherd will physically return. I firmly believe there will be a day when the Lord Jesus will come back and provide the ultimate remedy to this broken world. I believe Revelation 21.4 will be fulfilled someday. 
Again, I know that I read this last week, but it's worth revisiting. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What you are experiencing right now in this world will someday pass away. And everything that is broken will be restored by the chief shepherd. That suffering, gone. That pain, ceased. The tears, wiped away. All because of our chief shepherd. But until that day, until that day, we need to contend with the tears, death, mourning, and pain. Until the Lord comes back to redeem and restore all things, Christians are called to navigate the trials with faith. We, Christians, are called to trust in our shepherd. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.